Good morning. So we're going to start in the book of James today. And I get the uh, privilege of introducing us to the, to the book of James, but particularly to the man James and um, how he came to write this book. So if you want to turn to James, we're going to read the first verse, which... And to get us started, in, in titling this, this book, um, it's a very practical book and calling it Biblical Instruction for Everyday Living. And, but I think I, I got a better title this morning as I was talking to Kayla. <laughs> and she was on her way to church with Rooney, her little daughter. And she told her, said, we're on our way to church. And Rooney said, yes, be quiet, make friends, don't bite. <laughs> so, so, it's a pretty good, pretty good summary of the book of James. <laughs> be quiet. I mean, it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. That's one of the verses in James. Make friends. It's all about don't be partial you know, some rich person comes in, don't schmooze with them and look down on the, a poor person. Make friends with everyone and don't bite. And I tell you, the book of James talks a lot about the tongue and, and its bite. So that is going to be our theme for the next <laughs> few weeks. Be quiet. Make friends. Don't bite. Okay. <laughs> Some good, good instruction. So, <laughs> James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. a bondservant, we're going to talk about what that means, of God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really incredible that he adds that, and it talks a lot about where God has brought him. A bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ um, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So how many of you grew up with a, um, a sibling who was like a, a goody two-shoes? Or maybe some of you were the goody two-shoes. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, they were the ones who always obeyed. Um, you were the one who always got in trouble. right? And some of them probably enjoyed it. Um, like, Mommy, Susie took a cookie out of the cookie jar. <laughs> or Dad... Johnny pinched me. But some of them, I think, just seem like they naturally were good. Now, I know that nobody is naturally good, but some of some people just, uh, like, they're naturally good. They, they like to please. They like to obey. And as a result, they make those of us who are kind of naturally mischievous and rebellious uh, look bad. The um, 
that is what, as we're going to look at James this morning, what I think it was like for James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, the author of our book. Um, After Mary supernaturally conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit, Mary and Joseph had other children. And James was one of those, I think was the oldest of those brothers, half-brothers of Jesus. So born to Mary and Joseph. Think of what it would have been like to be the brother of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was always good, right? The, the Bible tells us that he never sinned. I mean, he always ate his broccoli and asparagus, always. He never sneaked a candy bar into bed at night, like my son did. Um, we found out about 30 years late down the road. <laughs> That's all right. The, uh, I mean, it's not all right, but it, yeah. The, uh, Jesus always did his homework. He made his bed. He put, it, he, he put his dirty clothes in the laundry. He did his chores. He said his prayer. He was always good. Um, and I think that since he was genuinely good, he, he wasn't a tattletale. I mean, he didn't tattle on James and Jude. Um, when they sneaked a cookie or they played video games instead of doing their homework. I know they didn't have video games. Okay. The, um, he was always good. And, and as a result, it would have been incredibly hard for James to be his brother. Because think about it, no matter how hard you tried to be good, you couldn't be as good as Jesus. Because Jesus was always good. Um, he was always better. He was, he was Jesus. And so moving into adulthood, I think we see, and we're going to look at some scripture, we find that James, despite or maybe because of being Jesus' brother, uh, he didn't really like Jesus. Um, in fact, there's, we're going to look at some verses. It says, he thought he was a nutcase. Really. Jesus' brother, James, thought he was a nutcase. James was constantly offended and, and I think embarrassed by the fact that Jesus was his brother. Um, and certainly James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay? Some of you don't believe what I'm saying, so look at Matthew. Matthew, we're going to look at a few verses here. And we want, you know, the, the title says from unbeliever to bondservant, and that's what we want. We want to see what made this incredible transformation from, from this guy who thought Jesus was a nutcase, thought he just was embarrassed to be his brother, did not believe at all that Jesus was who he said he was, and what transformed, changed that guy from being that James to a James that starts this book and says, I am James, I'm a bondservant of my brother Jesus. It's quite a transformation. So starting with Matthew 13, uh, verse 54. 
if I can find, 13 comes before 14, right? Okay. Matthew 13, 54, it says, Coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom? I mean, he grew up with us. Where did he get these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? That's Joseph's son. Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James? That's our James. Joseph, Simon, Judas. Aren't all his sisters with us? When did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Okay? And so the people of Nazareth, and James was one of them, they they were offended by him. They were embarrassed by him. Look at John chapter 2. No, no, actually, we'll look at Mark first. We'll work our way through. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Verse 21, this is key. It says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, meaning they were going to like, this guy's out of control. They went to take charge of Jesus. And I lost my place here. Sorry. They went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. He's lost it. He's crazy. He's a nutcase. That's James and his brothers and sisters. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 2. As Jesus was going around in Galilee, it says he didn't want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. Verse 2, when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea. So they're kind of mocking him here. They said, leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so they're mocking him, saying, hey, you want to be somebody? (sighs) Then be somebody. And uh, they're mocking him, making fun of him. They think he's this nutcase, this guy that's out for attention and is just out of control and somebody that they need to, to take charge of. That's James' perception of Jesus. But then something happened. I Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. After, after Jesus has died, he's been crucified, we come to Acts chapter 1 and we see a change. Acts 1, verse 13. As Jesus has been taken into heaven, his followers have gathered in an upper room, 120 of them. Verse 12, it says, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, that's John and James, brothers, 
Um, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Those are his disciples that had walked with him. It says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women. And notice it says, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. His brothers. That's James. Um this unbelieving thinking Jesus as a nutcase embarrassed to be called his brother now with Jesus's followers um, in the upper room constantly in prayer Um, just one more in Acts 21 if you flip kind of to the end of Acts 21 we see um, even more than just James being a part of that gathering in James twenty one fifteen, we see something else. Um, James twenty one fifteen. I, I, we'll start at seventeen. This is Paul as he's on one of his missionary journeys. He arrives back in Jerusalem. He says, "When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters, meaning the." Christian brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, it says, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. And all the elders were present. And incredibly, this doubting, unbelieving, embarrassed to be called Jesus' brother, now not just with the followers of Jesus, but he's actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the one that Paul reports to. Um, James, the head of the church in Jerusalem. So what happened? Um, What transformed this guy from what he was to what he now is? Now, the the natural response, I think, would be the crucifixion, right? Um, Turn with me to John chapter 19. You're getting some practice reading the Bible here, so... You're getting some practice, so now you can go home and read your Bibles. See, um, you know how to do it. Um, John nineteen twenty five. I think the natural response would be that J- J- James, as he was observing the crucifixion, would see his brother hanging there and would be broken by it. John 19.25, notice it says Jesus is hanging on the cross. We'll, we'll pick it up at 19.25. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and it's referring to John, the disciple, Jesus says to her, woman, here is your son. And to John, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Do you see what's going on here? James isn't even there. Um, His mother's there. James isn't there, the, the next in line to care for his mother. And because James is, at this point, it seems still an unbelieving, embarrassed to be called Jesus' brother guy. Jesus, as he's dying, appoints his 
disciple, John, to care for his mother. What should have been James's responsibility, um, Jesus appoints John to do. So he's, he's absent. And in his absence, Jesus appoints John to care for his mother. Um, so what changed James? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me, if you would. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start reading at verse 3. This is Paul writing. He says, For I, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. And that just provides incredible evidence that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. 500 people still living that witnessed his appearance. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. Isn't that incredible? Then he appeared to James. Um, I mean, think of it, that's like, man, you, um, you're the goody two-shoes brother or sister, and, 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 um, and your, your brother or sister who's always upset because you're always the good one and they're always in trouble, um, And there's this divide between you and, and, and they grew up angry at you and bitter and there's this break in this relationship. And that's, what, that's where it is with James. And then at this point where James and his bitterness is like separated from the family, he's not there with his mother at probably her chief moment of grief and sorrow that she's ever experienced at the death of her oldest son, Jesus. He's not there because he's so angry and bitter and separated himself that that son, that brother of his, despite everything he'd done and said about him and how he tried to separate him, that he would appear to him. And that's what Jesus does. I mean, James is the only one that we see at this point that isn't a believer. Everyone else that Jesus appears to is one of his followers. It's Peter and the Twelve and and 500 of his followers, and then he appears to Jane, to his brother. Uh, I mean, that's incredible kindness and grace and mercy. And I believe that it was at that point where everything came together for him. Everything came together for him. He realizes that this brother that he'd shunned and that he was embarrassed about, and he thought he was just this do-gooder that was trying to be some public figure trying to present himself to people that he was who he said he was. And that that the death he died was actually a fulfillment of scripture and he knew it was because he'd been accepted, his sacrifice had been accepted. He was approved by God because he was alive. 
And at that point, as he appeared to James, it's like it all came together that Jesus was who he said he was. And he was for James. <laughs> he was for James. And despite everything that James had done, despite everything he'd said, and despite every, all the ways that he had treated Jesus, Jesus, his brother, was also his incredibly his savior and his forgiver. It dawned on him that it, it wasn't sacrifices that mattered to God, but it was this man, his brother, <laughs> that what mattered to God. He was, he was the one that God had promised to be James's savior. You know, incredibly, I, I just want us to look at a few more verses and, and get where this idea of bondservant then comes. As James says, that's what he is of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 40, if you'd turn there, Psalm 40, there's a really neat prophecy that is, we see fulfilled by Jesus and, and we see it recorded in Hebrews. But I want us to look at Psalm 40, just really quickly, and then we'll look at Hebrews and wrap it up. Psalm 40, verse 6. Through, through David, God says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Sounds kind of weird. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. This is a messianic prophecy, a prophecy about the Messiah who would come. And where God says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. I have come to do your will. It's a reference back to Exodus chapter 21, the first few verses, where it talks about a bondservant. And a bondservant was simply a servant who was allowed to go free by their master. But because they had such love for and appreciation for their master, they voluntarily chose to, to be, I want to be your servant for life. That's what a bondservant was. And to become that bondservant, what they did, master would take them to the, to the doorpost of their house. The, the servant would lean against, would put their ear against the doorpost, and the, the master would put an awl through their ear, make a hole in their ear, uh, Thank you, thank you. Ladies are familiar with this, and actually a lot of guys are nowadays. Um, would, so a lot of you are bond servants, whether or not you know it. <laughs> um, the servant would lean against the door, but put a pierce their ear, and that hole in their ear would be a testimony to everyone that that servant voluntarily was forever a servant of that master. That's Jesus. In, in Psalm 40 here, this prophecy is that's what the Messiah would be. It wasn't sacrifices that God was looking for, but a person who would come and perfectly do God's will as the once and for all 
sacrifice for sins. So Hebrews chapter 10 gives us the fulfillment, and then we'll wrap it up. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Listen carefully. This is it's, it's great. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the realities themselves. What we see in the law was to help people understand. It was help us to understand what sin is and that sin needed a solution. The law was only a shadow. The law wasn't given that we would try to follow the law because we can't. It, it just shows that we can't measure up to God's standard. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's impossible. There aren't enough animals, lambs, goats to cover the sins of us sinful people. It says, otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered if, if sacrifices took care of it? We're done with that. We're perfect. We're, we're taken care of. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Because, verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. God's sacrifices were to show us how sinful we are and how much we needed a Savior. Um, Because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, verse 5, therefore when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is quoting Psalm 40, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. It changes ears you have opened to a body you have prepared because that's what a servant was saying. I am yours for life. As their ear was pierced at the doorpost. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O my God. And that's Jesus. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, this is Jesus, here I am. I have come to do your will. Notice it says, he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you know that? Is that true for you? That's why Jesus came. Is that once and for all, sin, my sin and your sin, could be taken care of because... He became that bondservant. He became that one who was absolutely, perfectly obedient to the Father, saying, I come to do your will. I come to do what no one else could do, what sacrifice and offerings could not do, and that's deal with sin and its death and its separation from God. And that's what Jesus came to do through his perfect obedience to the Father as a bondservant. And I think as... As Jesus appeared to James, James who rejected him, who, 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 who mocked him, who denied him, who disbelieved in him, didn't want anything to do. As Jesus appeared to James and, and it all came together, 
Jesus is this bondservant. The one who came in obedience to the Father to be my Savior. The one to deal with my sins. I, I think it, it's, it broke James. And it made him want to be that same bondservant of his brother. I think that's why James says, he makes it very clear, James, a bondservant of God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to make it clear that, that he is whatever his brother wants him to be. <laughs> because his brother is his God, his brother is his Savior, and this one he rejected embraced him and forgave him and saved him. And so he became the forever servant of his brother Jesus, the leader of the early church in Jerusalem and the author of this book, from unbeliever to bondservant. As, as we read through the book of James, we're going to see because of this transformation that happened to James, an individual who doesn't play Christian. I mean, he's very serious about being a follower of Jesus. He wants others also to be serious followers of Jesus. And that's why we've uh, entitled this book, Be Quiet, Make Friends, and Don't Bite. Because for him, that's exactly what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. It, it, it wasn't just about information. It wasn't just about a meeting. It was something that because he said, you became a bondservant for me to save me and change me and transform me, incredibly forgive me. My life is yours. I am yours. It's like Romans 12, 1, where it says, in view of the mercies of God, give yourselves living sacrifices. That's like a bondservant. Just give your life to him in light of what he's done for you. And so what we're going to see in the book of James is not just a lot of information, but in light of what it means to be a bondservant to Jesus, it's responding to that and saying, I want my life, my tongue, the way I treat people, the way I handle temptation, and every other aspect of my life, I want to be a bondservant of Jesus. Does that de describe us this morning? James assumed that being a Christian meant a changed life. Not just believing some information, but a changed life. So three questions I like as I close. Do we get, do you get that Jesus, the sovereign God of the universe, became a bondservant for you? just a beautiful verse in, in 2 Corinthians 8 says he who was rich for our sakes became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich Isn't that incredible do we get that do you get that that Jesus the sovereign God of the universe became a bond servant for you number two In wanting to get that, are you willing to be a bondservant of his? 
Jesus isn't, as we were singing a little bit earlier, the thought that went through my mind as we were singing worship songs was wholehearted. That's what a bondservant is, somebody that's wholehearted. Say, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I'm yours. It's not, I got 15 minutes for you today, God. Uh, I think I can fit you in. Um, Understanding the bondservant that he became for you, are you willing to be that same, like James, bondservant, forever servant of him? And then finally, if you are, what part of our lives, what part of your life do you need to turn back over to him that's been serving you rather than him? Your tongue, your time, uh, one of your talents, your money. How does God want you to be a bondservant of his son who incredibly became a bondservant for you? Let's pray. Father, man, thank you so much. You so loved us that you sent your son. Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, we can't even begin to understand what it meant for you, the sovereign God of the universe, to go to the cross as a bondservant for us. But thank you. Help us to understand. Help us to get it. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our hearts to get it so that in the same way uh, our lives might become forever servants of yours also. And just to know the incredible beauty of being in that kind of relationship with you, God. Thank you.